Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Good morning, Seeds. If, uh, if you've not heard me say this yet, if you've... I've mentioned this two or three times already, and here we are. This is the second Sunday of uh, 2024, and it's good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a few weeks because I know people have been traveling, and then there's sickness, and there's still faces that I'm missing because, again, sickness that are happening. So I would encourage you all, church family, if you look around and you notice, hey, I don't see so-and-so, check on them. Find out what's going on with people. Pray with them. You know, that's why it's important that when we prayed for healing just a moment ago, we didn't just pray for those who were in the room, but we said, if you know anybody that needs healing, raise your hand. We're gonna intercede for them as well. And so um, people need to be taken care of. People need to be checked in on. And this is a family. There's no Lone Rangers in the body of Christ, or there shouldn't be. And if there are, you're not doing it right. And... I just want to encourage you guys, uh, those of you that know uh, Dave and Jackie Craybill, uh, Jackie's mom's still um, in hospice, and if you guys know them, please check in on them and just find out if there's anything that you can do, and there may not be anything physical that you can do, but we can certainly pray, and just even them knowing that we're thinking about them and checking in on them will bring comfort to them in this moment. And so Jackie's mom has lived a good long life, and I know this is a hard moment for her, and she's gonna go and be with the Lord soon, uh, but that's still a hard thing to deal with, amen? So we're just gonna continue to love on them. Uh, Here's here's this, if you've not heard me say this, I'm gonna say it again. Uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit has highlighted this to me, but it's not just been to me because it's been confirmed multiple times through different conversations and and different uh, things that I've heard that this year for Seeds Church, but this is probably beyond Seeds Church, I'm sure that it is, but this year is going to be the year of that we're gonna be refined by fire. 2024 is the year we're gonna be refined by fire. So we've even just kind of got a visual for that right there, and we're gonna see that throughout the year and uh, it's gonna be a reminder for us of what God is doing, okay? And this is, this is one of, if not the main priority of the Lord, this refining work in his church. And the special thing is, is that we don't just see it happening here amongst us in seeds. At first, I, I just thought it doesn't really matter. You know, I feel strongly that this has been confirmed by the Lord that this is the direction that we need to focus on in the church for this year. But what's cool is, is over the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing this other places as well. And so God is doing something not just here at Seeds, but he's doing something in the church at large, which is incredibly encouraging. Praise God. And when you go through a refining process, like much of the church is at this hour, uh, and we see this in ministries that have high profiles. Maybe they're nationwide. They have nationwide um, influence. Dave, I just saw you walk in there just now. I didn't even know you, you crept in here. So it's good to see you, brother. I'm glad that you're here. When you see this refining process going on, and sometimes it's easy for us to see because it's happening to higher profile ministries, right? Whether they have national influence or global influence, sometimes it, this is happening more on a little bit of a local scale that is not quite, the visibility is not quite as, as high. And then even on an individual level, you know, the refining process may be just a little bit visible in a person's life or sometimes even invisible, and many of, us, many of us can sense or we can think and we can feel, is this fire being turned up just because of me? <laughs> and, and we find some confidence that what we find ourselves in is part of what God is doing at large because we're hearing and, and we're seeing some of the sim, similar language, same language from multiple different places, and this is a season of refining. But, but like I said, this is encouraging and it's hopeful. Because when God applies fire to his people, it's not to destroy us, it's to refine us. The per- that's the purpose of this fire. So we embrace it and we submit to it. And you need to, you need to understand and know that this is not a chicken soup for the soul. 
fire. This is not the year of breakthrough. However, on the other side of refining is breakthrough. Praise God. Praise God. And so we're gonna embrace the fire. We're gonna embrace the process. We're gonna embrace the goodness of God in the midst of it. And that's really one of the purposes of seek. With this season of prayer and fasting that we find ourselves in. It's to tenderize our hearts. These seasons of corporate prayer and fasting uh, are, are about having rhythms of grace that we embrace so that we have an altar to build, to meet the Lord, to hear what it is that he has to say, and then God tenderizes our hearts and our hearts come into alignment with his heart. We're not out here doing our own thing and saying, God, Bring your heart into alignment with ours. No, 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 no. This is about our heart coming into alignment with his. And so today is day eight of this season of Seek. We're right in the middle of it. If you were here last week, you probably went home with a hard copy prayer guide. If you did not go home with one of those, I think we still may have a few in. Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Tommy says that we do have a few in the uh, welcome center there in the foyer. If you'd like a digital copy, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you right to our website where you can download that. And if you have been following along with this this week, that's wonderful, praise God. If you were like, oh shoot, I've been sick or I wasn't here and I forgot all about it. Well, hop in with us right now. Hop in right here on day eight and finish this season out with us strong, this season of corporate prayer and fasting because when we seek the Lord together, we believe that there is something special that God does amongst us and through us. Last Sunday, we talked about the, the fasting part, the fasting portion of, of, of this seek season and how fasting should be a regular part of the life of every believer. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus laid out three specific expectations that he has of those who follow him, his disciples, in Matthew 6, he said, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He did not say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says, when you do these things. So we know that giving and praying and fasting are spiritual disciplines that Jesus expects us as his disciples to follow in his example. Fasting is for everyone. It's not just for the hyper-spiritual. It's not just for the, the super-Christian. It's for every follower of Jesus. And the remarkable thing is, is that we see many times throughout the scripture, we see that prayer and fasting leads to some kind of powerful breakthrough or some kind of answer that comes from God. But, but prayer and fasting is not like some exact science. It's not a special formula that we use to manipulate God to get what we want. Fasting, there's mystery in it but there's also power in it, without a doubt. And we do it to partner with God to see his will be done, right? I know some people and they're like, oh yeah, I love fasting. One time I, I did like a 40 day water fast. And I'm like, one time I did a 40 minute water fast. <laughs> and there's a spectrum, right? Listen, here's this. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of how much you enjoy fasting or not, okay? Some may love it. Some people are on the struggle bus. But when we get into the season of corporate fasting like this, what it does, it refines us because it brings up the dross, right? The dross of complacency. The dross of carnal appetites come up. And so even if you feel like you're good at it, great. If fasting for you, if, if it's a new thing for you, or if you don't feel qualified, or you don't feel gifted in it, that's okay. That's kind of like part of the point. The point of fasting is not to just get the gold star because you did it exactly right. One of the points of fasting is to be reminded and to be confronted with your own weakness and with your own inability, with your own dross, and you take those things and you put them on the altar before the Lord and you find yourself in total dependency upon God. Fasting confronts us with our physical weakness. It, it confronts us with our spiritual weakness so that we would remember this. God, 
I need you. So we're right now, we're here in the middle of these 15 days. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you didn't start with us and you're just now hearing about it or you just kind of, after Sunday afternoon, you went to lunch and you kind of forgot all week. <laughs> That's okay. Get on now, wherever you are. Some of you guys are plowing right through it. Praise God. You're like, hey, this is incredible. Praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. Some people might be stumbling. Well, I did really good that one first day, and then the second day was like, uh, that's okay. You might have good days. You might have bad days. You might have headaches even. <laughs> you might not feel especially sanctified or holy. I had a couple of those days last week as I've been cutting some things out, been fasting some things, and I was like, wow, my physical body really was counting on this thing that I regularly put into it. And, and so I didn't really feel great, and I didn't really feel all that, like, the Holy Spirit on me that day. I was just kind of like, barely keeping my eyes open and telling my family, you need to just back off for a second, Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna sit on the couch at 5.30 and I'm gonna take a 15 minute nap. You guys just be quiet for a minute, please. But that's where the Holy Spirit does his best and deepest work. It, so be encouraged to stick with it, okay? If you fell off the fasting wagon, get back on, okay? Today, I want us to consider the next few moments that we have together as a school of prayer. We talked about fasting last week. Today, I wanna to talk about prayer. And so I want you to do this. If you have something to take notes, get that out. Whether it be paper and pen, some of you I see, it's already right there on your lap. If you need to pull out your phone, uh, don't play Angry Birds. I don't even know what people play on their phones anymore. I haven't played a game on my phone in so long. Don't play a game on your phone. I know what I used to play. I was talking to Jamie about this the other day. I used to play Jeopardy on my phone, like trivia stuff all the time. And I think I may have fasted it a few years ago and I just never, I'd never got back on the Jeopardy train with the Jeopardy wagon. But anyway, if you get your phone out, I'll trust that you're taking notes. We're gonna have some points here, but we're gonna have some scriptures. Some of the scriptures are gonna be on the screen. Some are just gonna be referenced. Write them down and then come back to these things this week and start to chew on it. Start to meditate on it. Start to digest it in your spirit, okay? So I wanna give you today five principles that are gonna influence effective prayer in your life. These are five principles that influence effective prayer. The first one is this. Oh, before we do that, let's read the scripture, okay? If you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter five. Hopefully you do have your Bibles this morning because we are word people. We are word and spirit people. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter five and when you've got it, go ahead and stand up with me. We're gonna honor God's word. We're gonna read it together. Today, I'm gonna read it out loud to you and then you can listen. But this is James chapter five and we're gonna start in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call of the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Praise God, that's good news. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Praise God, that's good news. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, can we all say that last sentence together? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I've got one other really brief passage that I'd like to read to you. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. It says this, it's really quick. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Everybody say faithful in prayer. Faithful. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you that you would help us be a praying church. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would cause our hearts and our minds to come alive in the word of God. We wanna be a church. We wanna be a people who know how to labor in the spiritual realm, Lord God. We wanna be faithful in prayer and we wanna see effective prayers being prayed here in Siege Church. We wanna see effective prayers being answered here at Siege Church. And we pray that the fires of prayer would burn bright in seeds. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. Charles Spurgeon was preacher and pastor in the 1800s. He was like the Billy Graham of his day. I mean, everybody knew his name. His sermons were transcribed and, and published regularly. And his church in London, Metropolitan Tabernacle, this is in the 1800s. It sat 5,000 people. And it had standing room for another 1,000 people. And regularly, they, like, when I say regularly, I mean, like, multiple times a week, would pack the house out. God was doing something unique. God was doing something special there. And Charles Spurgeon would have other preachers, they were guests and they were visitors and they would come and they would wanna know what his secret sauce was. Like share with us the secret recipe so that we can have the same kind of fervency and revival that you're having. And, and these preachers and these pastors were expecting Charles Spurgeon to teach them how to preach because Spurgeon was like the greatest preacher of his time. He, he, he had a nickname that was, he was called the Prince of Preachers. And so these people would come like, teach us how to preach like you preach so that we can see the, the law saved like you see. And Spurgeon didn't give them a master class on preaching. He took them to the church basement on a night in the middle of the week. And he would open the door to the church basement and it would be full of people and there would be a prayer meeting happening. And then the, the, the famous quote that Spurgeon would say is that this is the powerhouse for the church. Like down here in the church is like the furnace room and it's the furnace room in the physical realm but it's the furnace room in the spiritual realm because the prayers of these people are what, is making the rest of everything that we do powerful and effective. It's the prayer meeting. From day one here at Siege Church, we have said that at our very core, we are called to not just be a church that prays, but to be a praying church. Like it's part of our DNA. And yes, God has called us to do a lot of things, all kinds of things. We are working diligently all the time any opportunity that we get to see people who are far from God and they are lost, we want to work diligently to help them be saved and to come close to God. We're working diligently to help people not just pray a prayer, but to become disciples of Jesus and to grow as disciples of Jesus. That's why we have our life groups and the other ministries that exist. We are working diligently to strengthen families so that the families that we have here at Seeds Church can stand in and for righteousness in the face of a godless culture. We do not have to be influenced by godless culture. We are families that stand for righteousness, amen? We're working diligently for that. We're working diligently in pouring into men so that they will be the godly leaders of their homes and that God will use them at home and use them in the workplace and use them wherever they step foot. And we are, we're wanting to help people to step into their God-given callings. We wanna, this is the language that we use here at Seeds. We wanna help people discover who God has created them to be and we wanna equip them to do what he's called them to do. And we wanna serve our community here in Middle Tennessee and we wanna touch the nations. And we're involved in all of these things on some level. But what we need at the very core at the very engine that powers all of this, the powerhouse, the furnace for it, where the supernatural activity is, 
Because if we, we need the supernatural activity because if we are just laboring ourselves in our own power, then we're laboring in vain. Our efforts will be in vain. But when God is at work, then all of these other ministries, they just flow. So at the very core, at the very engine, the very powerhouse, the very furnace of what Seeds Church is called to be is being a praying church. That's where you are supposed to hoot and shawler and shout amen. <laughs> We're supposed to be a praying church. So when we're laboring for effective prayer, like we just read about in James chapter five, there are some things in the scriptures that help us learn how to be effective in the place of prayer. There's some things that are gonna help your prayer life. There's some things that are gonna help you learn to be a better intercessor. First one is this. We want to pray God's will. We wanna pray according to God's will. This is what 1 John chapter five says, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that good news? Praise God. And then it says in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked for of him. What? a promise. So what does that tell me? I want to pray according to God's will. If I want my prayers to be effective, then let's pray the will of God. So what does this mean? It means that we don't treat God like he's Santa Claus. Well, God, I just want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. This approach is where we try to use God or manipulate God, which is so funny to think that any of us could manipulate God, but we, we try to use God as, as a means to accomplish our end. When we come and say to God, give me what I want. You know what that sounds like? Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. But daddy, I want it now. I'll tell you one thing about Veruca Salt. She was persistent. <laughs> and her daddy gave her what he wanted just so she should shut up. <laughs> How we should approach God is like this. Lord, I'm your servant. Lord, I'm your disciple. I want what you want. So I'm here to partner with you and with what you are doing. Some people, when they speak about partnering with God, they, they talk about it as if God exists to accomplish our will on the earth. Oh, we're, we're, co we're co laboring with the Lord, we're partnering with God. Yes, but it's not to do my will, it's to do His will. I get to partner with Him. With, I get to come alongside Him and join Him in the work that He's doing in establishing His kingdom on the earth, not establishing my kingdom. I'm partnering with you, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I care about. If you look at Jesus, Jesus was always talking about his father. He's always talking about his father. He's getting alone to be with the father. The joy of his life was to be with the father. Jesus said in John chapter five, verse 19, he says, I only do what I see the father doing. Jesus was into Whatever his father was doing, he was in, into it. And that should be us too, right? Lord, I'm into what you're doing. I care about what you want. I want your will, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you want to pray effectively, first, pray, God, I want your will. Pray according to the will of God. Second thing is this. If you wanna pray effectively, the second dynamic is faith. Faith. We just read that in James chapter five. Pray with faith. James chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Praise God. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. 
Because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So another variable that affects effective prayer is your faith. Frequently, we see Jesus responding to faith. People would come to him, and they would come to him with faith, and they would ask him for something. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said to the Roman centurion, he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. In all of Israel, I haven't seen faith like yours. Because you believed, it has happened. And then in Matthew 15, Jesus said to the Canaanite woman, again, someone who was not of Israel, she was a foreigner living in the land, she was not Jewish. He says, woman, you have great faith, so your request is granted. So when we come before God, we wanna pray, I want your will. We're laying down our own agenda, we're exalting his agenda. God, you do what you want to do, uh, and, and then we want to pray with faith. So God, help me have faith. God, help me have faith. Help me actually truly believe this in the depths of my heart. And, and we know that God rewards faith. Hebrews tells us that it's impossible to please him without it. The, and so those are the first two things. The third thing that's gonna help us in effective prayer is kind of the Veruca Salt method. It's persistence. Don't, don't be obnoxious like Veruca and only ask for the things that you want. I want a Oompa Loompa, Daddy. You know, I don't. <laughs> Praise God. I don't know even where to go with that. Pray with persistence. There are so many examples of this throughout the scriptures of people being persistent in faith, persistent in prayer. I wanna to read to you this one parable that Jesus gives an example of this in Luke chapter 11. And this is in verse five, and this is up there on the screen. Uh, he says, Jesus, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I don't have anything for him to eat. And suppose he calls out, from his bedroom. Hey, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. All of my family and I, we're all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And then Jesus said this in verse nine. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Yeah. This is why we are persistent in prayer. Well, I prayed once and I'm, I didn't see an answer to my prayer. Okay, wonderful. Well, bless your heart. Pray again. Pray until you see something happen. Pray until you feel a release in the spirit. Pray until you have peace. Pray until the healing comes. Pray until the breakthrough happens. Pray with some persistence. Another example is in Luke 18, when Jesus tells the, this parable with the, the persistent widow and the judge. And she's demanding justice from this judge. And it's the same idea. It's the nature of persistence, the nature of asking Something about it, it moves God's heart without a doubt. Persistence is another variable in having your prayers be effective. Jesus makes it very clear. Hear this. Many of us, we labor in the physical realm to make a spiritual difference and to be part of the kingdom of God. And it's a great thing. And it's something that we should all be involved in in some way, shape, or form. Be having, it's called orthopraxy. It's like not just knowing the orthodoxy and not just knowing good theology, but it's actually, we're putting it into practice and we're allowing our theology to shape the way that we live our lives. And we need that. And what does that look like? Some of you guys labor in the physical realm. You labor on the dream team. You know, 
Maybe you serve babies and toddlers or the elementary kids or teenagers. And I just wanna say this. If you, when we just had Zach and Jenna down here with Theo and we committed them and dedicated them to the Lord, we all made a vow that we would help them and that we've dedicated many children throughout our short six years of existence here at Siege Church. And many of us have sat here. So I wanted to say, what better place to live out that promise and that vow than to get involved in being part of the Seeds Kids team, right? Praise God. Some of us, we labor by serving in the parking lot or on the security team or being on the production team or helping with hospitality or greeting in all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of ways that we labor in the physical realm. And when you're laboring in the, doing all that, it's bringing, making a spiritual difference, but there's also laboring in the spiritual realm where you're partnering with God and you're saying, Lord, I want your will to be done, so I'm going to align my affections and I'm gonna align my words and my life with what you want. And you talk to God and you pray and you commune and you dialogue with him and you, you, you talk to the Lord, you pray according to the will of God, you pour out your heart before him, and then you shut up for a minute and you listen to what he has to say, and you read what he has to say, and you, it's, a, it's not just a one-way street where, again, we're sitting on Santa's lap just telling him everything what we want, but no, we're stopping to wait and listen to see what it is that he wants to say to us, and this is what God wants. He wants and desires relationship. And so you've partnered with him and there's a lot of truth to this persistence of, in prayer thing because one of the things that happens is the strengthening of your relationship with God. When you are persistent in prayer, it strengthens your relationship with God. How is that? Because you have taken the, de- you've taken the position of dependence. You've come to God and you were dependent on, upon him. It, it's a position of, I'm not God, You're God, and I get to come before you, and I get to ask over and over and over and over and again. And now, listen, when some people, when they hear this concept, and they kind of react the way that I mentioned before, like, well, I prayed once, didn't he hear? Well, of course he did. And there, people are like, well, I don't, I don't really like this idea. I don't like the idea that I, I have a hard time with this buying into you know, a God that wants me to ask him for things. In Matthew chapter six, I believe it is, or maybe it's in seven, but I think it's in six, Jesus says that the Father even knows what we need even before we ask. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just like, End the, well, here's the end of that sermon. No, he goes on to say, the Father knows what you need even before you ask, but still ask. How many of us as parents, we have seen our children in need of something, but we're just, we just let them ride the struggle bus until they ask, right? Why? Because it pulls on relationship. We were just talking about this the other night at our parent-wide school meeting that we had where the headmaster was talking about how she deals with students in the school sometimes or how she deals with her own children sometimes when she was raising kids. Like, mama, it's cold in the house. She's like, cool, information, that's great. Thank you for giving me that information. And what is she waiting for? She's waiting for her child to say, can we turn up the heat? Can you, mom, can you turn up the heat? Not just give me information, give me the ask. Ask me, because that, that puts a demand on relationship. And so some people just don't like this. They don't, they don't like the idea of having to come to God and ask. And, and why would anyone feel that way? Well, I think it's pretty simple because we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned this way. And I will say this, especially men, we've been conditioned with this. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I don't see, uh, historically, in my lifetime, I haven't seen a lot of men in the church 
be powerful and effective in the place of prayer. Shame on us. Let me just give you a spiritual swat on the rear end right now. We need, men, we ought to be leading the way in the place of prayer in this church and in our families and in the body of Christ. We we have been conditioned this way because historically we have lived in a culture that is independent. By God, we're Americans. And this is part of our American culture. We're independent. We've got this freedom. And we've got the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And I did it my way. And the customer's customer's always right in a consumer culture. And And it's been this way for a very long time. And we're conditioned. We don't want to be dependent upon anyone else because we want to feel this false sense of accomplishment when we said, well, I did it. I did it all by myself. Or I did it my way. I say a false sense of accomplishment. You know why? Because there's not one human being on the earth that has accomplished anything of greatness that didn't do it because somebody was in their corner whether it was your parents or a grandparent or a friend or a boss or a coach, even the goat, Michael Jordan. Notice I didn't say LeBron. LeBron's great, but he's not the goat. Even MJ did not win those six rings by himself. He, he had to have Phil Jackson He had to have Scottie Pippen. He had to have Dennis Rodman. He had to have those guys to get the bling. But we are so conditioned of this independence. I did it by myself. And it hurts us in the place of prayer. Persistence in prayer is saying, Lord, this is countercultural, guys. Because again, we've been trained to be strong and independent and do things on our own. And part of that, there's some good things about that, of not having to be like just, you know, weak all the time. It's good to be a strong person. But why are we strong? Because our strength comes from the Lord. I don't wanna be strong because I'm a self-made man. I wanna be strong because I'm a God-made man. And persistence comes before the Lord and says, Lord, I'm wholly dependent upon you. Here I am, I'm asking again, God, my financial resources and my physical resources and my emotional resources, my intellectual resources, they all, none of them, God, all of them, none of them, they don't compare to the resources of heaven. Heaven's resources far and away outweigh my resources. So here I am, God, like a child, asking again, seeking, knocking, Believing in faith that when I ask, a door is gonna be opened. God, you're at work through the prayers of the saints. We wanna pray with persistence. The fourth dynamic is this, numbers. Numbers, pray with as many people as possible. Pray with as many people as possible. I know that for some people, they might doubt this. But if you read the scriptures, if you read through the Bible, how can you not believe this? The apostle Paul is a great example of someone who is constantly mobilizing prayer, constantly encouraging people to pray, getting as many people to pray as possible. He was desperate for people to pray for him and for his colleagues, and it's obvious that that he believed that the more people that were praying, the better. Not just the more that you were praying as an individual, but the more of all of us praying collectively, the better. He's constantly rallying for more people to ask God for his will to be done. Colossians chapter four, verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and Pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And 
Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 25. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Ephesians chapter 6, 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, that I may declare it boldly as I should. What's Paul doing? He's mobilizing prayer. He's getting as many people to pray as possible. A few times throughout the year, we changed the configuration of this room, right? Most recently, we did it for Christmas letters and we had the stage in the center of the room and we moved the stage pieces and we moved the chairs around. And then before that, it was for Thanksmas and this whole room was filled with tables and chairs. Several times throughout the the year, we move things around in here. And there have been a handful of times where this has happened where the weight of changing this room over, it fell onto just one or two people. Now, could one person or could two people do the work? Yes, they could do the work, but it's far more physically taxing for just one or two people to do it especially when you're talking about rolling tables in here and setting tables up and putting, you know, or stacking chairs. Uh, And I'll say this, for just one or two people to do the work of this, it takes a lot more time, lots more time. But here's the thing that we got smart and started doing. We started after the service was over. If we had needed to change the room over, we just started making announcements and saying, hey, at the end of the service, if a few people could just hang out we can change the room over. And many of you stick around, and it is amazing how fast, how quick, and how easy it is to change this room over in whatever it is that we need to do. It's remarkable. It's awesome. It takes a lot less time. As mama always said, many hands make light work. It wasn't my mama that said that, but somebody's mama said that. Many hands make light work. So we use this principle when it comes to physical labor, so why don't we put this principle to work when it comes to spiritual labor? We we see it work in 2 Chronicles chapter seven. We all know this verse. This is a very popular verse. Then if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. God didn't say if one person who's called, he said if my people, God's saying, Hey, come together in unity of heart and purpose, and it moves my heart. In Acts chapter two, the disciples, they're gathered together in the upper room. They're in unity, and they're praying for boldness. What does God do? He comes, the spirit comes. Other times, they're gathered in in unity, and they're praying for miracles, and we're praying for the gospel advance. They're praying for people, for Peter, who got locked up in prison, praying for him, what happens? An angel comes in jailbreak. Peter shows up to the prayer meeting, and at first when he arrives, they don't believe it. Like, who is this? Oh my gosh, it's Peter. How'd you get out? An angel. It's amazing. And, and so we see that there's something about the gathered saints in unity and mobilized in prayer together that God goes, I'm gonna work with these people. Pray with as many people as possible. That's why we gather together here every single Sunday. We have a prayer team. And we have a prayer team that doesn't just wanna pray for you at a distance. They wanna pray with you for your prayer requests. That's why every Wednesday we gather together and we have one hour of corporate prayer and worship and we're praying over specific prayer focuses. We're praying the scriptures and we're making time at the end uh, if, if people to huddle in, in, in small groups to pray over any specific prayer requests that people have. And we believe that when we gather here together in unity and we pray, God, have your way, we believe he's at work. So in addition to praying God's will and praying in faith and being persistent in prayer, we unashamedly, say that we want to pray with as many people as possible. Here's the last thing. 
Here's the last dynamic that will influence effective prayer in your life and help you grow as, a, as someone who prays and as an intercessor. Pray like you're in a spiritual battle. Pray like you're at war. I heard someone say this recently. This ain't heaven yet. We're not there yet. So there's a war going on. When you, when you read Paul's letters to the church and to the churches, it's obvious that he has a, a, a view, a filter, a worldview that we are in a spiritual war. We are in a spiritual battle. It's obvious. The world, it's so interesting to me, the world and the culture that we live in is so backwards and double-minded when it comes to this principle. Because if you believe and you talk about demonic activity or if you talk about demonic you know, um, you know, demons, or if you even talk about good spiritual activity, if you talk about angels and you talk about God doing supernatural things, people look at you like with their head tilted like a cow looking at a new gate. And, and, and they do not affirm what you have to say. And, and they, 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 they don't. And they, they, um, they do not applaud you. They do not esteem you if you are someone who talks about supernatural activity as if it's a real thing. But you know what our world does? They love to be entertained by supernatural activity. Let's go watch the new show or the new movie or read this book or listen to this podcast about UFOs or, you know, uh, let, let's go watch the new superhero movie or let's watch the supernatural thriller or let's watch the, the movie about the demonic possession what? That's crazy to me. But when you start talking about that stuff as if it's real, something inside of them, it's because their eyes are blinded and they don't want to recognize the truth. Something about that, oh, no, no, no. What are you talking about? That's not real. You really believe in that stuff? But they love to be entertained by these things, but their understanding is blind to the truth of the things that are happening in the unseen realm. 19th century French poet Charles Baudelaire said this. He says, the, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled off was convincing the world that he didn't exist. So you have this camp of people that deny that spiritual beings and supernatural activity exists and that supernatural power is, is available and exists and is at work, and that's the power of God and the power of the enemy. Both things exist. And they deny that spiritual warfare is happening all around us, but they have no problem being entertained by these things. And then, so you've got that group, and then you also, you've got another group on the rise. Even here in America, there's this growing constituency of people who believe another trick that the devil has played and that is convincing the world that he's a good guy. Just yesterday, I saw a video clip of a young lady who claims to be a witch, and she has had, she was giving pointers and teaching other people and, and baiting other people to, to believe and practice what she practices as a, as a Satanist, and she would use the word magic and workings, and she was talking about uh, using abortions as a way to work magic. And she was talking about how she's done it twice, and she's teaching people how to do this. I'm telling you, this is out there. Church, there is a real spiritual war that's going on. I'll say it again. Church, there's a real spiritual war that's going on. It's true. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter six. Like, we, we read the Bible sometimes like, oh man, wow, 
man, that was really something, and God was really doing something, and look at what the, the devil tried to do, and look how God overcame, and look at the instruction that Paul gives us about, about you know, what's spiritual warfare, but then we go and live our lives like, well, that was a cool thing that we read. Come on, orthopraxy. We gotta live this out. It's, it's just as important. Living it out is just as, poor, is just as important as knowing it. It's, does it. It does us no good for it to just stop right here. We gotta put it in our hands and in our feet and everything that we're doing. Paul said this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, mean, meaning like this is the last things I have to say after these six amazing chapters of truth that I've just written to you. Ephesians is amazing. Ephesians is awesome. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What's Paul implying here? That the devil has schemes. <laughs> it's not rocket surgery. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms, in the unseen realm. There are two realms. This realm that I can look out and I can see you and I can experience things with my five senses, but there is a spiritual realm that I can only experience with my spiritual sensing. That's why spiritual discernment is so important and we need to pray for it. And then we need to take a stand against wicked and evil spiritual forces and schemes and evil that exists in the heavenly realms, in the unseen realm. So when you come to the prayer meeting and when you're praying in private on your own, if you're gonna be effective in prayer, you need to have this understanding of what Peter said. He says that the devil is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And there's a real spiritual battle that's happening in the unseen realm. Therefore, you don't want to go easy. When I pull up to the drive-thru, they're like, what would you like to drink with that? It's like, give me, a, give me a tea, give me iced tea, but easy on the ice. Why? Because I get more drink that way. Because I go easy on the ice. We're in a spiritual battle. We don't go easy on prayer. Don't ask for light prayer. Don't ask for easy prayer. Go all in. Go all in. You don't want to take it casually. You don't want to pretend as if there's not spiritual warfare that's happening. It's real. So here's the deal. We're right here in the middle of Seek, the season, this first Seek season of the year. We're gonna have another one later in the year. But we're right here in the middle of this one, prayer and fasting. And if you, I, I, just, I just want you to see that this matters. The prayers of the saints matter. Say this right now with me. Say, my prayers matter. My prayers matter. Say it one more time. Now say this, our prayers, matter. our prayers matter. The prayers of the saints, they matter. When we pray, God is at work. When you pray, you're not just checking off a nice little spiritual box. Well, here it is, day eight of seek, and I'm gonna read this scripture, and I'm gonna read the little devotional, and check, I did that. Okay, well, that's nice, that's wonderful. We do want you to do that, but we don't want you to go easy on the ice. Come on, let's get real. Let's go all in. We are doing the work of God's kingdom. We're doing what matters. When we pray, we're partnering with, with God to say, God, I wanna be part of what you're doing on the planet. Won't you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now and we wanna be a praying church. God, we don't wanna be people who just talk about these things but never do them. We don't wanna just have good theology, God. We don't just wanna have good orthodoxy. We wanna have a good orthopraxy, God. We wanna live this stuff out. We want it to change the way that we live. God, we wanna be shaped into the image of Christ. We want his character and nature to come through. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us and you would help us grow as disciples of Jesus. You would come and sanctify us. You would shape us into the character and the likeness 
us in the image of Christ. And Jesus, we see that you prayed, and we see that you, you prayed with faith, and you, we see that you, you, throughout your word and throughout the scriptures, God, that you're trying to get as many people possible to pray, God, like we're in a spiritual battle. And all these things, Lord. So God, make us into a praying church. And if you agree with that, shout, on, shout amen. 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 If you're here today, and if you are far from God, you do not have to leave this place feeling that way. And I, when I say feeling that way, I don't mean it's just about your feelings. There is a reality. If you are not following Jesus, then you are headed on another path and that path leads to hell. I know that sounds very harsh and that's not a very popular thing to say in our culture right now, but that's the truth. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Don't go to hell. God has a plan for your life and he wants to save you and it's why Jesus came. As I've been reading through uh, my Bible plan and in the Old Testament here, I see Jesus takes sin really seriously. God takes sin seriously. And we treat it so nonchalantly. Well, praise God, it's all under the blood. If it's under the blood, then start living like it's under the blood. It's not cheap grace. It was costly grace. It cost Jesus. And Jesus came to save you. And he came to change your life. And if you today need to give your life to him and say, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus, I wanna give you the opportunity to make that decision today and do it with, right here in the, in the collection, with as many people as possible. So I'm just gonna ask you to be bold and you say, hey, yeah, I need to make that decision. Just raise your hand. I'm not gonna call you out and everybody point at you or anything like that, but I just wanna know, is anybody here that says, yeah, I, I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna come Jesus' way today. Okay, must be all believers here today or Holy Spirit's just still working on people's hearts. Praise God. Well, listen, today we're getting ready to dismiss. And our prayer team is gonna come and they're gonna be lined right here down in the front like they always are. We're praying church. We don't just wanna pray for you at a distance. We wanna pray with you and for your specific requests. So whatever it is, let's come. We're gonna pray together. Because Jesus said, we're two or more gathered in my name. He talked about the, Jesus talked about the, the dynamic of agreement in prayer, that there's power there. We're gonna pray in faith. So praise God for whatever it is that you need. And then I also wanna encourage you to take time and listen to what the Spirit says to you and take time to open up this word of his that he's so graciously gifted to us and to become familiar with God's character and nature and his ways and you'll learn things about God and about what he's, how he wants to do things in your life and how you're to respond to the things of life, his way, his kingdom way. Let's be familiar with his word and his spirit, amen? The Lord, I just pray a blessing over these people, God. I just pray that we finish these last eight, seven days of seek, Lord God. I pray that we would finish strong. God, if, if there are moments that we have weakness, God, I pray that we would just go, okay, well, I'm not just gonna settle for that. I'm not gonna stay there. We'll just get right back into fasting. We'll get back into praying. God, I pray you'd help us to be people who don't take it easy in prayer. We don't take it light in prayer. And Lord, for those of us, we've never done this before. We don't have any kind of, of reference or spiritual um, picture of, of what that looks like. So Lord, I pray you begin to teach us. And Lord, I thank you that you brought all of us in relationship with one another so that we could encourage one another and teach one another. And Lord, I thank you for the Wednesday night prayer meeting where if we don't know how to pray, we can come and we can learn how to pray. And we don't just learn it by reading a book and it, it being taught to us, but we learn it by doing it. So Lord, teach us to pray. Just like the disciples said in Matthew chapter six, Lord, teach us to pray. Let us pray the way that Jesus told us now. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen. Go in peace and empower. power to
to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.